the first thing that I recommend for people is find something that you're going to enjoy. Because if you treat public speaking like a chore, then it's going to be a chore. But if you can find something like, you know, like improv and comedy are the things that bring me joy and that help me practice these skills. And I, I go because I love it. And I go back even when it's scary, even when I fail, because I want to get better at it, because I love that moment that you get a laugh from the audience. I love that connection with the, uh, the other people that I'm improvising with. And it, it's just, it's that joy that helps you come back to it. For some people that's singing, for some people it's drama, for some people it is, you know, teaching a fitness class, it might be leading your book club, whatever it is that is going to get you emotionally invested in that process and that is going to bring you a sense of fulfillment that is stronger than the fear is what's going to help you go forward. Hey everyone, welcome to the Power of Why podcast. This is an interview style show that talks to leaders who are purpose driven. I started to notice a pattern amongst folks who are fulfilled and lived in alignment. They walk different, they know why they spend time doing their work, and they are fueled by impact. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 27 of the Power of Why podcast. My name is Naomi Hailey, and today I am joined by Alex Keenan. Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me on. So Alex and I met a few, a few months ago, actually. There was a SoGal event that took place in Ottawa. A mutual friend introduced us and said that, you know, you two have to talk. Alex Keenan is a public speaking coach who helps people overcome fear and self-doubt so that they learn how to shine. Through her business, Stage Light Communication, she runs public speaking classes that are known for being spontaneous, transformative, and fun. She is also the founder of Spice Leadership, an initiative for preteens that boosts confidence and leadership skills. So Alex really helps people find the stories that are inside of themselves. And, and importantly, the confidence and skills to share those stories with their communities and the world at large. From courtrooms back, you know, during uh, Alex's legal days to conferences and crowded bars, Alex has spoken to crowds of all kinds and helped bridge the communication gaps between people. I, I really wanted uh, Alex on the podcast. For one, we had an incredible conversation about confidence and um, how she got into public speaking and coaching people in this area specifically. She's doing really, really incredible work. And, you know, you're really vocal about different social issues that matter. And, you know, what I really admire about you is your ability to be very articulate when you're talking about these things too. So again, thank you so much for being here. Um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your origin story, Alex. Sure. And thank you for that introduction. Wow. You make me sound so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in Nova Scotia. I'm a transplant in Ottawa. I, uh, you know, I grew up, I was I feel like I was kind of put in a box a little bit. I was book smart. And so people said, oh, you know, Alex is going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a prime minister. And I went, oh, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, but I did, uh, I did go to law school. I became a bit of an activist in high school for, uh, you know, children's welfare and the environment. And I just kept going without much direction, just saying, you know, I want to be better at saving the world. I want to be better at saving the world. So, uh, you know, I studied political science and then I went to law school. And I was still was going, you know, I just want to save the world. I don't want to be one of these hoity-toity careers. Mm -hmm. But the world has a way of funneling you uh, into things. And so I did practice law for five years. And I was working mostly with First Nations communities and Indigenous individuals, which uh, it was incredibly fulfilling 
work to, to get to know those communities and those people and, you know, learn about stories that were outside of my own experience because I'm, I'm not Indigenous myself. I ultimately found that the practice of law was not for me. I'm not much of a conflict person, so I'm not sure why I thought that practicing law was going to be my path in life. Right. There it is. And I, you know, I, I just found that I was becoming dissatisfied with the lifestyle that I had found myself in. And I didn't know what I did want out of my life. I just knew that I knew what I didn't want. And so about two years ago, I made a huge change. I just said, you know, now is the time I'm going to make a career change. And I quit my job and had no plan for what to do after that. And a few months later, I was, uh, I was out for lunch with a friend of mine who is a teacher. And we had been talking, it was shortly after uh, the, well, I guess it was a little more than shortly after the uh, US election, but we had you know, had lots of conversations about women in leadership and, and from her perspective, especially uh, empowering girls to really um, find their place in the world, to feel like they have something to offer and to take on leadership roles and make sure their voices are heard. So we started an organization called Spice Leadership, and we started planning to do a summer camp for girls, which we held in the summer of 2018. And so that was kind of the introduction to entrepreneurship for me. It was something that I had always thought of doing for myself, but I never really knew what kind of direction I would take. So we just started this project, and it started taking on a life of its own. And as I was doing this, people started saying to me, well, why don't you do things for adults? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Like, what do I have to offer to adults? And, uh, and someone suggested that I do a public speaking workshop because I had built up those skills uh, during my law practice and been really intentional about overcoming nerves and, and becoming very articulate, able to express myself. And so I held a workshop. It was really fun. And so I did another one and I did another one and people started asking me to coach them and it kind of rolled into this thing where I, one day I said, well, I guess this is what I do now. Mm. And so I kind of fell backwards into this career and I could not be happier with it. That's incredible. So stage light communications came from people approaching you about you know, a skill set that you had finally tuned and that you, you started doing workshops with it and it just kind of grew from there. Yeah. So um, what is the relationship now between stage like communications and spice leadership? Are there ever, you know, kind of intersections between the, two, the you know, those two worlds? Like what's your world look like day by day? Oh, wow. Uh, well, stage light is kind of my bread and butter and okay. it, you know, it's, it's hard to, make a good living running a program for children, especially a very small scale one, uh, because people just don't have a lot of money to put into programs for their kids. And that's the reality that families face. Uh, so state, Spice Leadership now, is it's my passion project. It's something that I kind of do on the side. And right now, I'm actually seeing those worlds collide. I've partnered with the Center, uh, so the Canadian Institute of Mass Communications, and we are yeah. working on a pilot project called Eloquent Ottawa that is teaching 
public speaking skills to kids kind of in the preteen, early teen years. And uh, so we've been running that pilot project and we're hoping to wrap it up, produce a promotional video and see if we can bring that into schools or other institutions and get it, uh, and get it to spread a little bit further because these skills I think are really important. And one thing that I've heard from talking to parents is that it's not consistently taught in schools in any way. It's a lot of kids are expected to just get up and give presentations and, yeah. and uh, you know, Lots of people, uh, you know, of all ages that I've met have unhappy memories of being forced to do that because it's very uncomfortable yeah. for people. And so we're trying to work with kids to get them comfortable, build those skills at an early age so they don't get into their careers in their 20s and find that they're terrified to do this thing that they are required to do. Uh, anyway, so it's been a lot of fun. I, my method for coaching involves a lot of spontaneity and games. And so it's actually not very different uh, when I'm working with 12-year-olds versus when I'm working with adult professionals. I use a lot of the same techniques. And it's just to get people out of their heads, feeling spontaneous and enjoying the process. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like when you were describing some of the experiences that young people have, especially at the elementary school, high school level, like we would be in English class, for example, asked to like prepare a poetry piece and then go up in front of the class, either memorized or not, and be expected to, to know how to articulate what our, what our piece was. But also public speaking is a skill at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And yes. I think a skill needs to be nurtured. Um, having a coach for that is incredible. And so, you know, you enter, as you mentioned, university and even you know, graduating from university, if that's the path that you decide to take, going into workplaces and not knowing how to like put together a PowerPoint presentation and, or, or even just stand in front of a room and, and share a story or walk people through something that you've, a product that you've built, whatever the case is. I think definitely being able to teach this to young kids is so, so, so important. So incredible work. Yeah. So that partnership, is that something that you are planning to roll out early in 2020? Or do you guys have other plans for that? Uh, hoping to. We don't have a strict timeline set out yet. Uh, but yeah, I think ideally we would want to start rolling that out in early 2020, start establishing partnerships and collaborations in order to make it happen. Yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about why public speaking specifically is so important and maybe the relationship between being able to speak publicly in front of crowds and, you know, that relationship between confidence building as well. Oh, yeah. yeah well, I mean, I think the thing is that humans have been sharing stories with each other since we've evolved the ability to speak, you know, uh, and so we were really hardwired to take ideas and insights from other people in, in a verbal sense and to share ourselves and to want to be heard and to want to express our creativity and find connection with other people through speaking. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't changed. I mean, a lot of our communication happens now digitally, but we still have that desire to hear ideas from other people and to, to share ours. And I think we're starting to see a lot more movement back towards that, away from an emphasis on social media and towards more of this, uh, you know, hearing people sharing their ideas. So the success of TED Talks, for example, mm -hmm. is a perfect example of that. You know, we are, we're storytelling where we are speaking and sharing creatures, and that's, that's deep within us. And, you know, I, I work a lot with 
entrepreneurs and some people who run nonprofits and charities or who have causes that they're trying to advance. Most of my clients are not trying to be professional speakers. They're not necessarily interested in doing TED Talks, but they want to share what they are doing on a day-to-day basis with other people. They want to be able to, say, go to a networking event and stand up and talk about their latest project. Mm -hmm to share it with other people to get the greatest reach that they can. Uh, or they, you know, some of them just want to feel more comfortable speaking up in work meetings. You know, I, I meet some people who just feel so incredibly self-conscious in any social situation that it's difficult for them to even get the credit for the ideas that they have inside them and to advance their careers or to, to achieve the things that they dream of achieving. And public speaking, when you work on those skills and that confidence, it opens up all of these possibilities that you previously closed yourself off to. From my perspective, it's, it's a skill, like you mentioned, and it's so much more than that. It's an experience that engages yourself. Mm. And so yeah. you talked to Naomi about this example of getting up and writing a poem and then getting up and sharing it with the class. And something like that, that's so incredibly personal. That's something that you created. And we have, I find most of us, this incredible fear of being judged and of being found lacking when we share something that comes from us. And I think a lot of the fear of public speaking comes from that sense of what if I'm unworthy? And, uh, you know, I had an experience last year. I took a class in stand-up comedy, which is something that I had been wanting to try for a very, very long time. Yes, I remember you telling me about this. (laughs) And the very first class, the first thing we did was the teacher said, let's everyone sit down. We're going to take 10 minutes and just write a corny joke. You know, a three men walked into the bar kind of corny joke. And so I did that. And then he said, okay, we're all going to stand up and present our joke. We tell your joke to the group. And when it was my turn, I was gripped with this just intense fear. And I have not felt like anything like that with a public speaking experience in a very, very long time. And I'm standing there and I'm shaking and looking at the door going, I could just leave. And then I just thought, get a grip on yourself, woman. What is happening? This is what you do for a living. You stand up in front of people and you say things. But it's when you create something and then you have to share that. It's just so much more nerve-wracking than, say, if you had to stand up and say, oh, you know, the exits are over there, right? And so um, that's a lot of what that experience comes down to is – being able to be vulnerable to share parts of ourselves. And when you get to the point where you feel reasonably comfortable doing that, then you can open up so many more possibilities for yourself in your life beyond just standing up and giving a presentation. It makes people more confident, I find, in you know, when they are talking to strangers and just getting to know people. It opens up so much more confidence in the rest of your life. I agree. I 110% agree. And that was the word that I was like, when you were talking that whole time, even sharing your story about the, the comedy piece that you had to put together, I was thinking it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there. And it, you know, for me, like, I remember I hated public speaking. I hated, like, I would dread it. I would start shaking. I mean, till this day, I still get very nervous going up, but at the, at the end of the day, there's so much room for connection when you are sharing your story and, and parts of you and, you know, things that you struggled with. There's so many more opportunities to connect, right? Because it's, it's a space for people to say, wow, I see myself in you. I see myself in your parts of your experience. I see myself in your story. That's, it's really powerful. But for, you know, 
by targeting this public speaking avenue um, and building up your confidence, it 100% bleeds into every aspect of your life. I'm curious for you, Alex, were you always comfortable, you know, with this skill set? Is it something that you felt like, you know, at a very young age, you built up a foundation? I don't know, maybe your parents had any, something to do with this. Where did this skill for uh, public speaking come into your life? You know what, I, I'm not sure I would say that I've always been good at it, always confident. So when I was very young, I, I had an interest in drama. And so I could I was very happy, you know, if I had other people with me to get up and put on a a skit in front of our parents or something like that. I was this very expressive child, but I was also shy and introverted. And I just think that as I grew, I incorporated a lot of the judgments and shame that we all experience as we're growing up about, you know, who I was and what I had to offer. And I became a lot less willing to do that. And when I got to law school it was one of those things where well you have to do this you have to have this skill and you have to be persuasive and compelling and i remember uh, in second year we had a mandatory moot which is a moot is basically like a mock court setting where you have a legal argument there's a case whether it's made up or an actual uh, supreme court case and you have to argue one side or the other in front of this panel of judges and the judges were professors and lawyers from the community and I I, I didn't do a very good job (laughs) it wasn't really my my top skill set and I was nervous and I remember I I got heckled one of the local lawyers who was sitting on this panel started making fun of my arguments and it was absolutely mortifying and so that was one of my earliest young adult experiences of public speaking so it was hard to go back to working on that skill. I mean, I was driven to do it because I knew I had to. But that was kind of what stuck in my mind was that intense judgment and embarrassment. And after that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And after that, I mean, you know, I I just had to keep doing it. I had to keep doing it. And I was mostly working in courthouses in small communities. And so you get to know everybody. And so it, it was mostly fine. I it was nervous about screwing up on my job. But as I got more comfortable with what I was there to do and all the people around me, I actually started to enjoy it, you know, standing up and having those conversations and presenting and realizing that I was getting better and better at it. It was that that sense of progress made it a fun experience. And knowing that I had put the effort in and was seeing those rewards for the effort that I had put in, it it became very rewarding. And uh, as I was practicing, I I started taking improv classes, just as a creative outlet, a way to get out of the office on a weeknight, and found that I had a lot of fun with that. And so I, you know, I just kept going and kept finding these other experiences, these other opportunities to get in front of people and to express myself, and found that I started to find joy in it. And I thought, well, if if I could find joy in this after that horrifying loss, anyone can. And so how do I help people get to that point? Mm-hmm. Wow. I can, I can imagine even that feeling oh. <laughs> of being up there during, it's, it was called the moot, right? How coming off the stage or, or where you were standing and just feeling just humiliated. Mm-hmm. And we've all, like, I have experiences where that's happened to me too. And to have the courage to get up and like keep putting yourself in, the, in, yourself in those types of situations voluntarily is is something that I, I really admire. So what did that preparation 
look like for you? Were you going home and like practicing all your arguments from a school perspective? It looked like you taking improv classes and doing stand-up comedy, that sort of thing. But like, what would you recommend for people who do struggle with this and want to get better? Maybe not, you know, for those who are not necessarily interested in public speaking as a career direction, but even wanting to, you know, as you mentioned it earlier, you had, you know, quite a few examples of different situations, like being able to um, speak up during meetings, but also share the projects that you're working on and your story. What, what, what does preparation on the back end look like for you? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I found it was really helpful. I ended up finding myself surrounded by people in my workplace who were committed to helping to build those skills. And so it was nice to be able to sit down with someone who, who could just be very non-judgmental and, you know, listen to what, what I had to say. And, you know, I started off in my career being very, you know, very prepared and I had all my stuff written down and there was uh, someone at the firm who was helping out me out with this and he said, okay, put the paper down. And he said, now tell me about this client and what they're going through. And then I, I put the paper down and I just said, here's the situation. It was, it was a really difficult case in the sense of emotionally difficult. Uh, the person was in a difficult situation and I just talked about what they had experienced and what was happening for them. And, and he recorded both. And he said, okay, we're going to watch this. Hmm. And it was so much more compelling when I just spoke from the heart. Like, this is what this client is experiencing. We need to do something about it, right? And, uh, and so that really informed my approach. I don't really believe in writing everything down. I believe in knowing your topic hmm. and connecting with what is it about that topic that you care about. And, and that is what makes all the difference. You can, so when you can connect with what, why it matters, then you, you can really speak spontaneously and you don't need to worry about, you know, if, if you're interrupted, you can get back on track. If people are asking you questions, you can answer those questions because you just know it. You know it in, you know, intellectually and you know it emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so when people are saying, you know, I want to work on these skills, the first thing that I recommend for people is find something that you're going to enjoy. Because if you treat public speaking like a chore, then it's going to be a chore. But if you can find something like, you know, like improv and comedy are the things that bring me joy and that help me practice these skills. And I I go because I love it. And I go back even when it's scary, even when I fail, because I want to get better at it because I love that moment that you get a laugh from the audience. I love that connection with the uh, the other people that I'm improvising with. And it's just, it's that joy that helps you come back to it. For some people that's singing, for some people it's drama, for some people it is, you know, teaching a fitness class, it might be leading your book club, whatever it is that is going to get you emotionally invested in that process and that is going to bring you a sense of fulfillment that is stronger than the fear is what's going to help you go forward. I see so many parallels between what you just described Um, And also like understanding and knowing in your bones and in your soul what your purpose is, right? Like if you are talking about a specific, you know, subject um, and you have a story around it, right? It was usually people are gravitated towards helping others with something that they struggled with personally. Mm -hmm. And and I think even, you know, especially, and we're going to delve into your purpose and, and why 
specifically you do the work that you're doing right now, knowing your topic and really being invested in it is the thing that keeps you going, right? Even when it does get tough or you don't want to get up there and things could potentially go wrong. You know that there's a greater reason why you're doing that thing. Did you want to expand on that at all? Oh, yeah. No, I just find for a lot of people, you know, you can go online or people will give you tips on things like on how to be a better public speaker. But a lot of it is so tough because what people are telling you to do is actually habit change. So people will say, slow down. I'm from the East Coast. I My natural state is to speak a mile a minute. And I really <laughs> work on that. But it wasn't helpful to have people just telling me for years, slow down, right? Because that's not a strategy. If you're changing a habit, like if you're quitting smoking, for example, if someone says just quit smoking, yeah, okay, I did, right? You need a strategy to get from where you are to where you want to be. Right. And so that's a lot of what I do in my work is I, I help people find strategies that will get them from where they want, where they are to where they want to be to change those habits. And I think that when you, to go back to the point of find something that makes you engaged and interested, when you are in that space, you get into a space of flow, you become more yeah. aware of how you're, set, you're showing up in that space. And that awareness is what will help you to change those habits. Do you record all your talks, Alex? Most of them. I have done some, uh, for example, I spoke at a conference last year. I think it was last year. And I, I asked the organizers if I could record. And they said, no, some of the people in the audience are, are in a vulnerable situation and would not be comfortable having it recorded, uh, which is too bad because I think it was the best talk I've ever given. The audience was incredible, uh, very engaged. Uh, I got people to participate up on stage. I think most oh, of the time, I do, yeah, most of the time I do record and I do watch it. I know it, it's, it's painful for me. It's so it's, painful. <laughs> it's, it's incredibly painful, uh, but it's, you get used to it. You get used to that discomfort and, uh, and it's neat to, observe how you show up in different contexts and so I have videos of myself doing stand-up for example and then I have videos that I've done for my clients to help them remotely with different skills they can watch on their own time and I, I my presence in each of those different contexts is very different right you know, and uh, and so it's really interesting just to to observe and be able to What's, what's going on there? Am I doing that intentionally? Does it serve a purpose? Uh, is it just something about the way that I feel about where I am in that space? And then I can start making choices about whether I want to keep doing what I'm doing or if I want to find a way to change it. Mm -hmm. And first you need to know what those things are. Exactly. I mean, um, yeah, and there's a reason I asked you if you record all of them and then take the time to look back and, and reflect. I, was, I wanted to really um, talk about the reflection piece of public speaking as well. Would you recommend that people record their talks and then how do you most effectively dissect a video of you public speaking? Oh, that is a great question. I do recommend that people record whenever they can. And sometimes people will say, oh, but I don't want to watch it. Record anyway. And you can take as much time as you want. I have gone months after recording something before I actually go back and watch it because I have all these ideas about how badly I think I've done <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and so sometimes you need that space, but it's good to have the recording. So when you get to a place where you go, okay, I think I can handle the watch this, then you have it. Otherwise, you just don't, right? Um, in terms of how to use that information, that, that kind of depends, to be honest. It kind of, it depends on what 
the thing is. So I was talking to a client just the other day about the pink elephant problem. Do you know what I mean by that? The pink elephant? No, please. Yeah. Don't. So so if I say to you, don't think about a pink elephant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? What are you thinking about right now? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Pink elephant. And so... Yeah. And so those kind of things can backfire. You know, if someone realizes that they say, um, a lot when they speak, then they might get preoccupied with saying, um, and then they just do it even more. And so sometimes it's noticing what are your habits and then starting to think, what could I replace that habit with? And that can be a bit tricky. That's where I come in for a lot of my clients is helping them figure out what to replace it with. But, you know, look at what are you doing that you don't, really like and then think about why don't I like it hmm. for one is it, is it me being a harsh critic of myself is it something that I you know that I think that I quote-unquote shouldn't be doing even though it is really just kind of part of who I am uh, because you know I, I think that a lot of people have certain habits or mannerisms that are they're told are no-nos but are actually really charming parts of their personality. So kind of start to dissect, you know, why don't I think I should be doing that? And then if you make a conscious decision of actually I do want to change this and I think I'll be more effective if I do, then figure out what you need to do to change that habit. Like, Do you need to replace that habit with something else? Do you need to just, sometimes it's just a matter of when I feel like I'm about to do this, I'm going to take a breath. And there, there's a whole process of habit change where you don't notice you're doing it and then you notice that you've done it and then you notice you're about to do it and then you notice in time to stop, right? And it's a process mm-hmm. of time, but it's, it's just about building that awareness. And as that awareness builds, you become more effective in making those changes. Right. Yeah. And I, I completely agree. That's why even with the work that Sam and I do, are doing with Find Your Tribe, like we started to record our talks like if we ever go to a school for example or even at our events we'll record and then we'll we'll sit down and look back on it although sometimes it can be I hate watching myself on camera but it's it's really useful because you start noticing all these patterns as well and I'd love for you to talk about one example it can be a past client or current client that you have right now um, can you talk me through like the biggest problem that they were having and then the vision and strategy for how you both developed working through that engagement? Sure, sure. Well, we're talking about habits and becoming aware of them. So there was, well, there's one issue that I see every so often in different clients, that, which normally comes up in people who actually are past the point where they're too scared to do it and they're reasonably confident. They have a good time with speaking. But uh, some people, they bring a lot of energy onto stage. And I'm, I'm actually one of them. Uh, this is something that I've worked on with myself as well. Uh, but sometimes you show up on stage, you have so much energy. And, you know, you're just kind of frenetic and moving all the time. You know, some people will pace back and forth. Or some people will shift from one foot to the other constantly. Mm-hmm. And it, it's distracting for the audience. You probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so what you need to do is figure out what to do with all that energy because that energy isn't going away. It's, you know, it's powering that speech and it's helping them bring emotion and uh, an engagement that the audience needs, but you need to figure out how to channel that into greater awareness and just laser focus. So one thing that I like to do with a client who has that is get them, first of all, if they're a pacer, Uh, Get them to run through a presentation standing perfectly still. And this is incredibly hard 
for the people who have a lot of energy on stage because that energy has nowhere to go and they start to feel weird and the way that they speak changes and maybe they start doing all these weird motions. But it helps them bring their awareness to the fact that all that energy is there and needs somewhere to go. And then once you've got that awareness, uh, one thing that's really needed is to have them move very intentionally. So if you're shifting from one idea to another, you can move to a different spot on stage or you can do some kind of uh, physical gesture that indicates to your audience that something is changing. And if you're very intentional about the way that you do that, that means your energy has somewhere to go, but you're deciding where it goes. Mm -hmm. And it can be really useful. It's incredible how it, it almost taps into your intuitive understanding of what you're talking about. So your presentation isn't just words. It becomes almost three-dimensional in terms of how the emotion is flowing and how you're talking about things that are internal to yourself versus engaging the audience and getting them to think about their own connection to it. And you can just become really dynamic in the way that you present to an audience once you master this technique and just kind of make it something that uh, that is very natural in the way that you present to people. I like that being able to kind of siphon that energy into something that actually amplifies your message and what you're trying to exactly and what you're trying to kind of showcase to your audience. And it's, I think really valuable too. what you said earlier about, you know, there are certain things that generally may be seen as a no, no in public speaking, but you know, if it's something that is, is you and it's part of your your brand and who you are keeping those in like those quirky little things i think it also gives character to your story and allows people to connect with you even further right and it depends on your medium too so a lot of public speaking techniques developed for when people were orating without microphones on stages in front of huge crowds and now that we have video it's made a lot of speaking a lot more intimate you know it can be just someone sitting in front of their camera and speaking or it can be that you have a cameraman who's focusing on your face where the techniques that you want to use and what will look natural and engage a crowd is very different Uh, so one of my favorite examples of that is uh, i love to watch the ted talks of uh, chimamanda ngozi adichie because she does a lot she's amazing incredible she does a lot of the no-nos you know she stands behind a podium and she reads uh which in some contexts could could work against her and and make her less engaging but she's a storyteller and so Mm -hmm. much of her expression is on her face and so when the they're filming her talks they focus right in on her face and you know the facial expressions little secret smiles when she tells a joke uh you know her her sense of humor is is quite subtle but then you get she gets that secret smile and you know like you know she's uh she's speaking right to you and it's it's just so engaging it's incredible to watch and uh, yeah so that's her being her in a way that is is unique and is kind of defying the convention and being okay with that too that's Mm -hmm. interesting um we talked earlier about the self-awareness piece i'd love to delve into that more how important has it been for you to be self-aware being fulfilled and striving and thriving in your purpose Mm. well I think I I spent a lot of my life not being very self-aware. And in some of my work, I I work with with teenagers now. And, you know, you see that. It's something that you seem to develop a bit later in life for most people. But when I started to become aware of what my real skills were, so instead of just putting myself in in a box, in this kind of predefined box, but actually, you know, plugging into what I was actually really good at that is different from what people normally look for. 
that was when I really started to be able to figure out where my place is and what I bring to the world that no one else does. So a big part of this was when I was practicing law, there were a lot of things in that job that I just wasn't that good at. It wasn't my skill set. But one thing I was very good at was helping people get uh, get ready for their hearings, especially uh, people who had experienced very difficult situations and were having trouble talking about it, you know, and were experiencing a lot of anxiety over the thought of having to get into a room and share this very personal information with strangers. And so, uh, so I spent a lot of time during my practice sitting in rooms with people and listening to their stories and giving them a safe space to share what they had experienced and how they had lived like how they had worked through it the choices they had made how they felt about those choices and you know figure out a way to tell their story to other people in a way that would uh, connect with what the other people needed to hear <laughs> which sounds weird but in in the, in the legal space um you need to tell stories certain ways in order to get any kind of satisfactory right. outcome so right. figure, help them figure out how to tell that story to the people who would be hearing it but also do it in a way that would be authentic for them and it would mm-hmm. honor their own experiences and uh you know I, I sat in a lot of rooms with a lot of people crying um and one thing that one of the, the partners at my firm started to notice was that I could sit down with someone who was very very hesitant to share information at all and get get them to open up mm-hmm. and uh, so he started giving me more and more of that work because it lined up with the strength that I didn't even know I had. Wow. But yeah. And so it's kind of cool, you know, when you're, when you're 30 years old to discover a superpower that you, <laughs> that was hiding for years. And so that, uh, becoming aware of that strength really helped me once I got out of that career into the one that I'm doing now. A lot of what I do is just like helping people unpack the barriers to telling their stories. Mm. And, uh, and the other Wow, that's, that's <laughs> incredible. It, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. really powerful. Because sometimes, yeah, you're right. Like you'll have gifts, you know, that that are very attuned to you that maybe you can't see for yourself. But to have mm-hmm. managers, to have parents, to have peers, friends who are able to identify that in you and shine a light on it is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it takes a little bit of thinking outside the box because that's not a skill that you normally think about mm. looking for in someone, right? You know, we, we have these, these very broad boxes of skills that we, we look for. And, you know, when it comes to people, like usually it's very, very specific. So even an artist, you know, um, someone who, like they work in different, in different media and maybe someone who works uh, as a sculptor is not going to be a good painter. But, you know, they said they're still visual, but it's very, very specific about how their brain works and what they can create. And so you need to actually dig into to someone's reality and figure out what is that that's very specific thing that they do. And you've been able to, to take it and run with it in your current practice. Yeah, does that, does that bring you a lot of fulfillment? Incredibly, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spent, I spent a few years of my career thinking that I you know, was a bit of a screw up because I wasn't, meeting the expectations of the position that I was in and then to be able to say, okay, here is, here's my personal genius. Mm. Create something that uses that. There's nothing like that. So the freedom that comes with being able to say, okay, I'm going to shape my life around the thing that I do best rather than around 
the things that other people want me to, to be good at. And what does living life on purpose mean to you, Alex? Oh, it, for me, it means, I think, pursuing the goal, even if it's not a realistic goal, of dying with no regrets. Yeah. It means, you know, like, searching out the things that bring you fulfillment and pursuing those things and, and finding ways to have them in your life every day. Um, I think when, I, when I'm making decisions, if I, I'm looking at taking a risk and wondering if it's worth it, if it, you know, and dealing with the fear of, of going out on a limb, the question I always ask myself is, if I don't do this, will I regret not trying? And that informs a lot of my decisions. Because I just, I want to make sure that I am using this life that I have to be as fully me as I can. Yeah. And before we head into like the final questions of the episode, you talked a little bit about your process kind of, you know, starting this company and it was people approaching you for your skill, your coaching skill. So it's been about 10 months, right? Well, yeah. Well, I, it's a bit complicated. I started my business about two years ago. Okay. And it started with Spice Leadership, and I was actually doing some public speaking coaching through Spice Leadership. Ah, okay. And I, 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 I rebranded my public speaking stuff as Stage Light Communications about 10 months ago because okay. it was, it was, I was finding it incredibly difficult, you know, under this one brand to communicate what I bring to the table. And mm-hmm. so I said I need to have you know, one brand for what I do with kids and one brand for what I do with adults, and then I can, you know, it, it makes it a lot easier as a communications professional. <laughs> my Being clear about your, yeah, your value proposition and exactly. who your audience, like who your target audience is too. Exactly. Because they're a little different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, incredible. And so you do one-on-one coaching. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you, the specific work that you do? You do one-on-one coaching, you do workshops. You yeah, I do one on conferences. Yes. Yeah. I, I do. Uh, I do one-on-one coaching. Um, I, I do courses. So I have an eight-week course coming up in October and November. I do corporate workshops. So I, if, if someone wants their team to develop their public speaking skills, maybe if they're working on developing a, a verbal brand. So you think about your visual brand. But there's also what do we say about ourselves and how do we say it is a verbal brand. So if they want to make sure that everyone's on the same page and is very confidently communicating their identity as an organization or as a company, I can come in and do workshops with their staff. Can you leave us with one thing that has really helped you get outside of your comfort zone? Uh, that would be starting to do improv was a hugely transformative experience in my life. And I didn't realize it at the time. I actually took some classes for about a year. And then for about three years, I I didn't do much of it. But after I made my career change, I found that I was using a lot of improv in the work that I was doing with kids. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go back and start taking classes again. And now I, I teach improv. I'm on a, a troupe that performed at the Ottawa Improv Festival last year, this year. And the thing that I love about it is that improv, it's not just about comedy. It's, it radically transforms your ideas about mistakes and about failure. Hmm. Because the whole idea is saying yes to what people bring in and seeing what you can do with it. And so if a mistake happens, if, you know, someone doesn't understand what you just said, or if they, you know, like use the wrong word or anything like that, it's not a failure. It's an opportunity to go in a different direction that was unexpected. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, and it, that, can, that can be where the comedy comes from, is from those mistakes and 
seeing what people do with them to turn it into something cool. Mm. And as, you know, as a business owner, you know, I make mistakes every day. And so it's really freeing to have this improvisational mindset of, okay, now that I just screwed up, what can I do with this to make it into something cool? Ooh. Yeah. That's so cool. It's like a dance almost, Alex. Right? <laughs> like yeah. it's it's being able to cuz yeah, failure, however you define failure, that's that's actually that was the event that we met at. It was, it was. that Sogal hosted and people were talking about I think six or seven people went up and talked about how they define what their biggest failure was in life. It's crazy, but like looking back and part of the the biggest part of my sharings and what I shared on in front of everyone was like looking back, although in the moment certain things felt like failures, looking back, everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. But if you like with that mindset, oh, you're actually, I do after this conversation, I'm going to look into this whole improv thing and figure out how I could do that on my own time because I see the parallels with also how your mindset and your approach to life too. Right? Because things are not always going to go your way, but it's it's the bounce back, right? It's how effectively can you take what has happened or the circumstance that you're in and turn it into something that is useful, right? Exactly. Yes. And how comfortable are you with uncertainty? Mm. And, with, and how much do you trust your own ability to adapt to whatever comes up? Huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge. Love it. And the last two um, questions on the, on, the, on the episode are, you know, what's, what's a resource, whether it's a book, like one resource, a book, a podcast, a person that has really, you know, impacted you the most and you feel has really led you to the journey that you're on now? I'm actually going to say the person who has influenced me the most on this journey, and maybe this is a bit cliche, but was my mother. Mm. And the reason I say that is, you know, she, she raised me as a single mother, for, you know, for much of my childhood. And she had this really interesting approach to parenthood that I think I didn't recognize at the time, but was incredibly valuable, where she would be most proud of me when I was making my own choices and doing my own thing. Mm. And she would be most disappointed if I was just going along with the crowd and not doing things that would serve my interests or honor the person that I am. Hmm. And that had a really profound impact on me. I mean, you know, we rebel against our parents, but we really internalize the things that they reward or, or quote unquote punish us for. And so I grew up being rewarded for being an individual, for taking, taking risks, I guess, and for speaking my own truth. Mm-hmm. And being and you. Both, yeah. And for being me. And, uh, and departing from the crowd. And so that was what I grew up learning to value. And that's what took me to where I am now. I love that. I love that. That's so beautiful because like in those very early years, a lot of the stuff kind of lingers in our subconscious, like things that we look back and we're trying to untangle and work through. And sometimes you hire coaches to help you work through all of those things that have been kind of programmed in our head. But Alex, the... Final question on the Power of Why podcast is, what is your why? What do you strongly believe that you're meant to do during your time here? I think that my why is unlocking human potential. Hmm. And so in order for us to solve the problems that are really 
the most pressing in our world, whether it's you know, climate change or inequality or unnecessary suffering of various kinds. We need to be willing to put ourselves out there, to be open and vulnerable and to share our truths and our ideas and get them out in front of people. And, and that's going to be uncomfortable a lot of the time because in order to solve these problems, we need to depart from what has been done before and what everyone thinks is just the way things are. And so I see my role in that is that I help people find the courage uh, and the power within themselves to share their ideas and their truths. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being incredibly honest and authentic in, in doing so. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. It was my pleasure, Naomi. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Yay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to episode 27 of the Power of Why podcast. Uh, you were listening to the incredible Alex Keenan, and I'm your host, Naomi Hiley. I'll see you in the next one.